Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of God for the people of God. Author of life, we thank you for your word, and we ask that as it comes to live in our hearts, your spirit would also come to live in us so that we might be transformed in heart, mind, and soul. Amen. One of the great ironies about the way that our culture celebrates Christmas is that as soon as Thanksgiving is over, everyone kicks into Christmas mode. But then, when we actually enter into the Christmas season, the culture moves on. For those of us in the church, Christmas Eve is the beginning of the season, not the end. It makes sense that the day of Christmas should mark a new beginning in our lives because the act of Jesus being born marks a new beginning in the course of human history. It's also fitting that in the midst of the Christmas season, we mark the beginning of a new year. For many, the new year marks the chance to set new resolutions. It's a chance to start fresh and work on bettering ourselves. So how do we approach the new year with a Christmas mindset? I believe the answer to that question is illustrated in today's scripture lesson. In remembering the Christmas story, we remember that God took on human form. Today's reading, offers us a chance to view things from the other side of the equation. This is teaching what our life can look like when we open ourselves up to the divine. These words are always important for us to remember. It never hurts for us to be clothed in compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. But it feels especially important to me that we keep this passage in mind as our denomination nears a special general conference in February. No matter what the outcome is in the coming months, there is probably going to be pain and there will probably be feelings of loss. And so it will be critically important for us to embody Christ to one another. In addition to clothing ourselves in these characteristics of the Lord, we are instructed to bear with one another through complaints and to forgive one another. And here there's something worth unpacking. 
the author of this letter instructs us to forgive one another because the Lord has forgiven us. The reason we forgive one another is because we have been shown mercy and it is our chance to pay forward the mercy that we have been given. Forgiveness is an opportunity for God's love to triumph over the worldly sense of retribution. Further, I would add to these instructions that we have to be able to forgive ourselves. There can certainly be times where we are the last person to do so. We don't feel that we deserve forgiveness for whatever it is we've done, but forgiveness is not something that's earned or deserved. It is a product of grace. And as long as we think that we have to do something to be forgiven, we're inevitably going to expect the same of others. Until we learn to forgive ourselves, we're going to end up breeding resentment in our hearts towards those whom we do wish to forgive. In addition to forgiving others and forgiving ourselves, we need to learn how to ask for forgiveness. I believe that one of the things that stops us from asking for forgiveness is the fear of admitting that we were wrong. We don't want to come to terms with the fact that something we have said or done hurt someone else, and it's easier for us to find or create an external source of blame rather than allow ourselves to be accountable. Now, I was fortunate that as I was figuring out an example for this sermon, a letter was released by the Council of Bishops. This letter was proposed at the fall meeting of the council and has been in the works since then. Every central conference and jurisdiction was represented by a bishop in the drafting of this letter. And the purpose of this letter is to provide a pastoral voice to our LGBTQ brothers and sisters in advance of the general conference. I'd like to read the content of the letter to you so that we can see how it connects to today's reading. It says, to our global LGBTQ kin in Christ, the Council of Bishops of the United Methodist Church recognizes the ways in which the convening of the special session of the General Conference creates a time and space of harm for you and members of your family to be the focus of attention, discussion, and debate is hurtful. Demeaning and dehumanizing comments and attacks on LGBTQ persons in conversations related to the upcoming February conference are a great tragedy and do violence to hearts, minds, and spirits. When you suffer, the whole body of Christ suffers. Together, we need to work to resist hate, violence, and oppression of persons. In these attitudes and actions, great harm is done throughout the community to the offended and the offender. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12, we cannot say to a part of the body, I have no need of you. We belong to each other. In our baptism, we are incorporated into the church, the body of Christ, and made one in Christ. The church pledges to every baptized member, your joy, your pain, your gain, your loss are ours, for you are one of us. Our book of discipline clearly states that all people are of sacred worth. 
As leaders of the church, we are brokenhearted by conversations that dishonor, objectify, and dehumanize. We confess as bishops of the United Methodist Church and as we attempt to honor our convictions that our actions and words have not always been life-giving or honoring of the LGBTQ community. Amid our sorrow, we seek to learn and grow in grace. To that end, we commit ourselves to helping people who disagree with each other, to have conversations that include honor and respect people with different convictions. We are a diverse group of leaders, conservative, centrist, progressive. However, we are unified in our commitment to work together in ways that will give you and all God's children strength, comfort, and hope for better and more merciful tomorrows. As the special session of General Conference approaches, we pray that the Holy Spirit will draw us together. May we see the image of God in one another, treat one another with tenderness, and love one another fiercely. Bearing Christ's love in these ways, we pray to be God's faithful witnesses. Signed, the Council of Bishops, United Methodist Church. In essence, this letter is an admission that we have done harm to the LGBTQ community through our discussions about human sexuality. We are blessed that our Episcopal leaders have provided us with an example for how to ask for forgiveness. Whether or not certain convictions have been held in good faith, the harm that has been done, the lives that have been damaged or destroyed cannot be denied. Admitting that a wrong has been done is the first step in the process of becoming a more loving church. We cannot be forgiven for a wrong until we acknowledge the wrong even exists, and we cannot grow past our harmful behaviors until we ask for forgiveness. We must be clothed in patience because there are those who have been hurt that still feel the pain of their wounds, who are still being hurt even, and will not be able to forgive yet. We must be patient because there are those who dig in their heels and double down on their harmful actions rather than ask for forgiveness. We must be compassionate to the suffering that has been inflicted and compassionate to those who are still unable to see how their theology inflicts real harm on others. We must show humility by recognizing that we are not God and we do not stand in judgment of others. We must be humble and recognize that there can be honest, good faith interpretations of the Bible that do not agree with each other. Above all, we must be clothed in love. As the letter to the Colossians reminds us, love binds everything in perfect harmony. Love is what reminds us that we are one in the body of Christ. Love is what reminds us that we are free to forgive others and to be forgiven. Love is what lets us set aside our pride and admit that we have been wrong, that we have made mistakes, and that doing so only makes us human. Love binds everything in perfect harmony because it always leaves the door open for reconciliation. It always leaves space for us to say that we are sorry, and it always leaves space for us to say, I forgive you. So it's no wonder that the author of this letter adds the instruction, and be thankful. 
for truly we have much to be thankful for. We should be thankful for a God who is with us. We should be thankful for the chance to wake up every day and to live a more loving life than the day before. We should be thankful that the love of God lives in ourselves. We should be thankful that the love of God lives in others. So to return to the question that opened this sermon, how do we approach the new year with a Christmas mindset? We resolve to be more patient, more caring, more forgiving, more loving, and more thankful. Amen.